Hebrews chapter 12, we'll read again verses 14 through to 17. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Now these verses are difficult. I think that they're not well understood at times. And I want to consider them with you tonight. And I want to consider them as a unit I think it's important that we keep these verses together and consider them as a unit. The title of the sermon is Harmony, Holiness and Heartfulness. Harmony, follow peace with all men. Holiness, follow holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Heartfulness, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up trouble. So I want to look at these verses under those three heads. But I do want you to keep in mind that in the church of Jesus Christ, in the assembly, in such a church, there is a possibility of two kinds. There is, of course, true Christians. And hopefully all are true Christians. That's the ideal. Believing church membership and all believers, all true. That's what we want. A truly born-again membership. But you know, it's not always the case. There are, or there may be some who profess but are not truly born again, not real, who do not truly know the grace of God, who don't have it in their lives, it seems. All, of course, profess. All have been baptized. All are looked upon, perhaps, as members and considered Christians. Some are real. Perhaps some are not. And the apostle here talks about Esau. And uses him as an example. And he goes into several verses actually to describe Esau as Esau. Lest anyone be as Esau. So there's always that possibility you see. Do you remember the Lord sows the wheat? But an enemy comes and he sows tares. And the thing about tares is that they are looking like wheat. At times. So in the church there are Jacobs, but there also may be an Esau or Esau's. And there's a very great difference. And I remind you of the sermon that our brother preached recently on Romans 9 verse 13. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. There's a great difference between the two, at least in the eyes of the Lord. In a small congregation, 
there may be no Esau's. There may be very few Esau's. But as the congregation tends to get larger and bigger and bigger and greater, it may be that there are more Esau's. Even the Lord Jesus with his twelve apostles, he had one Esau among the twelve, Judas Iscariot the traitor. The man devoid of God's grace. A son of perdition. One who was in darkness and went out into the darkness, though he sat at the feet of him who is the light of the world. And Esau. Now Paul is not saying there are plenty of Esau's. He's not even looking for Esau's in the church. He's not insinuating that any of the believers here are Esau's. But what he's saying is, he's sowing in their minds the possibility. But the emphasis is not upon the faults. The emphasis is not upon the Esau's. It, it does look like it is, and some preachers treat it as if it is. But Esau is not the emphasis. He has to be considered in the context in which Paul has brought him in. The emphasis is not on the unholy. Esau, but the emphasis is on the holy, what the people of God ought to be, what the people of God should be, so different from Esau. And that's where the emphasis is. Esau he wasn't a real believer, he did not get the blessing, he did not have God's grace in his life, he never repented of his sins. God rejected him and he became a, a better, graceless man like Judas Iscariot. But the weight of the emphasis is not on him. The emphasis is upon what the Christian ought to be, what the Christian ought to be doing, what the Christian is like. Verse 14, following peace, pursuing holiness, looking diligently lest anyone fail of the grace of God, lest there be Anyone to turn out like Esau? Most of our time then tonight is in verses 14 and 15. Christians ought to be three things. Three things they ought to have in their life, ought to be possessing, ought to be seeking, ought to be growing in. Harmony, holiness, heartfulness. The first two are connected. The first two are related. Because you'll notice he combines them with a conjunction, peace and holiness. So he joins them together, and while we're considering them separately, we must never forget that they are also a union. Harmony and holiness go together, and they should exist in every Christian heart. They're connected by the verb. Paul doesn't just say follow peace. He says follow peace and holiness. So you're to follow both. You can't follow the one and not the other. They have to be both followed together by the child of God. Peace with all and holiness. Now they're big subjects. You could nearly have a whole sermon on each of them tonight, which we're not doing. Paul is talking about vital things. What kind of a church ought we to be? Well, John Owen, who wrote a massive commentary in Hebrews, he said, the Christian church ought to be an example of harmony and holiness. A church is a holy 
concord, a union of harmony of the saints and the sanctification of the people of God. That's what a church is. And both are essential. It's really like the two tables of the law, isn't it? Peace with your neighbor, peace with men. That's the second table. And then holiness, that's Godward. That's the first table. Pursuing both of these tables of the law, not one or the other, but the both tables of the law. These things that Christian is to follow. Now some teach that we should have nothing to do with the law and we shouldn't worry about the law, but that's wrong. Yes, we have nothing to do with the law for salvation because we're under grace and we're saved through Jesus Christ our Lord, but he brings us into a life of conformity with his law and therefore we have to do with the law as a way of life and a way of living. And the summary of the law, as in these words of the apostle, your neighbor, the second table, peace, and God, the holiness toward God. And you have to pursue those things. And this word follow, I have to stress, it's strong. And I don't think this English word here just gets the strength of it. Follow may sound weak to us. It actually means pursue, to strive after. It's a word that gives the idea you're putting your whole vitality, your whole energy into it. In fact, this is the word that describes persecutors because that's what persecutors do. They pursue. Blessed are they who are persecuted. Blessed are they who are pursued. For righteousness sake. This is the word the Lord Jesus Christ uses. Persecutors are pursuers. They pursue persons. They stalk. They hassle and harass. Paul was that. He said, I was a persecutor of the church. I was a pursuer. I went after them. I went into their homes. I followed them about. I didn't give them any rest. I sought them out. And I hassled them and I terrified them. So that they were a miserable bunch. I don't know if you've ever been stalked or people have come along and they've hassled you and troubled you and they cast up this and they cast up that and they never leave you alone. It's awful to have to face someone like that. That's the word that the Lord uses here. I want you to pursue, not people, but I want you to pursue harmony with people. That's what I want you to pursue. To strive after it. To put your whole energy into obtaining it. This is the kind of word that the apostle uses in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So a Christian is to pursue not people but peace. Not happiness but holiness. That's the Christian pursuit. The pursuit of the child of God. Now peace, if you think about that, there are three kinds of peace in the Bible. The most important of all and the foundational, peace with God. We have to be reconciled to God. We have to have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then we have to have peace in ourselves, peace of conscience, peace in your own life. And out of that, peace with our fellow man. And of course, the apostle here is speaking of the last, isn't he? This means that in the church, our brethren, our sisters, we are at peace with them. A Christian isn't troublesome. 
not to be troublesome. Esau is troublesome. Esau puts fear and terror into men. Esau is full of bitterness. I'm going to get my brother Jacob back. He's not going to get away with that. Christians are not like that. Christians are forgiving. Christians are not filled with malice and hatred. Esau is envious of his brother. Hates his brother. But Christians are not to be like that. And they do everything and they pursue all to be in harmony as much as it is possible with all men. Not just their brethren and sisters in the church. It could be all in the church. That might be what Paul is emphasizing. But I think he's even going beyond that with everybody. With all men, as our translators have put it. So the Christian with the Spirit and walking with God is a person who is helpful and healing. Not hurting and harming. And that is inward, an inward peace where you are of the same attitude as your brethren, the right attitude towards your brethren, have the same mind as your brethren, you, you want the same things, you, you have harmony about your love for the Lord, you have harmony about the gospel, you have harmony about the Bible, and you have harmony about the meetings, an inward harmony amongst us all, where we just, you know, we have the same thing in mind. But it's not just an inward harmony, and not just attitudes, but also it's outward, so that in our talking and in our meeting and our interaction together and in our communicating among ourselves, we're kind and sociable, helpful and considerate, we're listening and we're giving good advice and we're rejoicing that they're good news and we're sad that they're bad news. Uh, that, that kind of interaction and harmony, that, that oneness. That ought to be among us. Paul, of course, here is using the language of Scripture when he, he says, as a, he, ought, he does this, I mean, the whole epistle of the Hebrews is practically just the Old Testament put in a regurgitated form. But he's quoting here from Psalm 34, verse 14 Depart from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it. And that's, as I say, that's the first table of the Lord. Don't do people harm, don't be people evil, do good to people. Seek peace amongst people and pursue it. And so you don't steal and you don't harm them, you don't hurt them, you don't shorten their life, you don't interfere with their spouse, you don't tell lies and bear false witness and you don't covet their goods and you wish you were better off as them or as well off as them. No, all of those things in the second table of the law are, are contrary to this call. We pursue it. So the multitude of them that believed in the Acts of the Apostles, we are told, were of one heart, inward, one soul, inward, and then outward as well. Neither said they ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. The Lord Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. It's a characteristic of his children. This, of course, means that we shouldn't give offence to our brethren, but it also means that we shouldn't take offence from our brethren, that we shouldn't be easily offended, but we should be bearing with one another 
and forgiving one another even as our Lord Jesus Christ has done unto us. And that wasn't the thing that Esau could do. He had this root of bitterness that sprung up in him so that everything else went out the window and all he wanted was revenge against his brother. He had no grace in his life. It was utterly seen what he was when he was put into a certain situation. And we don't want to be Esau's. It's easy being in harmony with one another until we begin to meet a difficult person. Then we're tried. Then we are tested. It's not just harmony. It's also holiness. Not only duties to man, but duties to God. And that's holiness. So this shows that while it's peace and harmony, it's not peace and harmony at any cost. It's peace and harmony that is consistent with holiness. So it's not peace and harmony with sin. It's not peace and harmony with the breaking of God's law. It's not peace with wicked behavior. No, it's not peace with profanity. It's not peace with as he saw here, he's a fornicator or a profane person. It's not peace with any of that. It doesn't mean that. But peace and harmony that is consistent with the law of God and with the holiness of God. Observe the order. Because the apostle does not start with holiness and then go on to peace. He starts with peace and then he goes on to holiness. And that is not without design. The order is right. Now we may think it's the opposite order. Holiness is far more important than peace. In some respects it may truly be. But the apostle has something in mind when he brings it in this order. And I think it's because of this reason that peace is a practical step to holiness. And you can't really have holiness in soil that is bitter soil. It could only flourish out of a soil of peace and harmony. Piety needs that. A man bitter, a man angry, a man always hassling people and not hassling and pursuing the peace and the harmony rather, that man has ground that it is difficult to cultivate holiness in. Usually such a man has little piety. In all of that anger and in all of that that has filled his heart, that's not ground for holiness. You're just dealing with that all the time, all that issue all the time, and you're not working with the, the piety towards God. You have to sort out your relationships with people and have a kind and a right relationship with people so that you can divert all your energies to piety. And if you're fighting men, you're not advancing in holiness with God. A fighting attitude is not soil in which godliness grows. There's no progressing. There's no grace of humility developing. There's something lacking. And the reason is because of that bitter spirit, that kind of bitter attitude, it's the worst ground of all for developing piety. 
That's why Paul starts with this. Pursue peace. Get that sorted out in your life. So personal, practical holiness, that's what we're talking about here, has no chance if you're fighting with your brethren and with men. Holiness is something you are to pursue. And that means that you're not zapped. You know the second blessing, blessers? You know if you pray long enough and get into a state of mind and somehow, you know, whap, you're zapped and you, oh, you're holy, almost sinlessly perfect. That's not in the Bible. You pursue holiness. It's not something you get, you know, just given to some and not to others. Christians are responsible to be godly. Christians are themselves to pursue it. It's a practical thing. It's like farming. It's like cultivating. Holiness has to do with the law of of sowing and reaping. This is what the apostle is saying. Holiness in the life is a harvest of what you sow. Did not Paul say in another epistle, what a man sows, he reaps. And he says all of that in the context of talking about this very same thing. He's talking about holiness as a fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and all of that. The fruit of the Spirit in your life, then the flesh, the works of the flesh, and sowing to the flesh, and sowing to the Spirit, and there's the fruit of the Spirit, and there's the the harvest of the evil works. He's talking about the same kind of thing here. And it's to do with cultivation. If you sow to the flesh, well, you'll you'll bring forth the works of the flesh. You'll, You'll reap what you sow. But to sow holiness, and to sow the fruit of the Spirit in your life, you have to be doing another kind of sowing altogether. You have to be pursuing it as a farmer. You have to be cultivating the field. You have to be putting the work into it. You have to be using the means of grace. You have to be doing the weeding of the heart and the working of the ground and getting into the place where the word of God is going to plow you up. So you have to pursue it. You have to pursue the meetings. You have to pursue the word of God and you have to pursue prayer and crying unto God. Pursue the light to shine upon you. Pursue the rain to fall into your life. And this cultivation If we put as much energy into that as we do into the things of the world, we'd be far holier people. And so we know that if all goes into games and TV and the flesh, we know what we're going to get. But we have to put the effort into the prayer and the church and the word of God. And if we do, we know what we'll get. We'll reap accordingly. But if we're not prepared to pursue congregation, if we're not going to put the effort into godliness to strive and to pray and to cry and to go to the word and to go to the church and to get the spirit of God's word into us and to mortify the deeds of the flesh, if we're not prepared to persecute the flesh and to hassle the flesh and the deeds of the flesh, if we're not prepared to do that, then we'll get very little holiness. I don't only tell you this. I have to tell myself this as well. We are all in the same boat, brethren and sisters. 
And we all have to pursue holiness. And may God help us so to do. I again remind you, this is not second blessing theology because of the verb. You pursue something and then God zaps you and you have it once and for all, a second blessing. No, that's not what Paul means. Just as you pursue harmony all your life, and there's not a day you can do without pursuing harmony in your life, you can't even stop pursuing harmony, peace, until you die. So neither can you stop pursuing holiness. And there's people who get the second blessing and they don't have to pursue holiness anymore. But that's contrary to this text. You pursue it, you keep on pursuing it. In fact, the Christian says to himself, I haven't attained it yet. I'm far off it yet. I'm still pursuing it. I'm still going after it. Paul was like that. Do you remember Paul said, I count not myself to be apprehended. But he says, I reach forth unto those things which are before. I press, and that's the same word, pursue. I pursue toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So this language tells us that second blessing zappers are wrong. That we have to pursue it till our very last day and our very last breath. To the very end. And therefore it's daily cultivation. Daily weeding. Daily working about this matter. Always the word. Always the light needed. Always the digging. Always the pruning. More pruning. More pruning. For more fruit. Not fainting. You see, this is what the Hebrew problem is. They're, they're fainting. Their hands are drooping, but their knees are feeble. But no, they, they, they have to be pursuing. They have to get their strength back into those limbs again and pursue. This is what the apostle is, is saying here. This is the opposite of fainting. So this pursuit is important. But why is it so important? The apostle says, without which no man will see the Lord. It's that important. It's the road to enjoying God. It's the road to seeing him who's invisible. It's the road to get, having him real in your life, a reality in your life, and you're seeing him. This is the road to seeing him. This pursuit is vital for the child of God. John Owen said, His holiness is the road to blessing. So there you have it. He's a far greater authority than me. You see, Esau didn't have that. He had no blessing. He was without the blessing. He was not on this road to seeing God. It was Jacob who saw God. It was Jacob who wrestled with the angel. He didn't do any wrestling with the angel face to face. He didn't see the Lord. Esau didn't see it. Because he was pursuing something else. He was pursuing the flesh. And he wasn't interested in the inheritance of God and in the grace of God. And he was weeping about what he lost. But not weeping for his sins. And so. It's the holy that get the blessedness. And it's the holy that get God's presence. And it's the holy that get wrestling with the Lord. And the devil he wants to make us careless congregation. He wants to make us slack. And he'd come along and say. Oh be a joyful saint. Be a happy saint. And you can't be that if you're pursuing holiness and worried about all of this business. Don't listen to the devil. We're not pursuing joyfulness and happiness and a good time and nice meetings and all of this and that. What are we pursuing? We are pursuing this. 
We want to be this kind of church. A church that is a harmonious and a holy concord of saints. Very quickly, the third point, and I'll not be long on this. I call it heartfulness. Heartfulness. And by that I mean a caring, kind heart. What does the apostle say here? Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. The apostle here is saying, not only are we to pursue holiness and peace and harmony, but we are to get into our watchtower over the congregation and we're to have a whole concern for the fellowship for one another, not just ourselves, it includes yourself, looking diligently for yourself, but that's not what the apostle says, looking diligently lest any man, he doesn't leave anybody out. Any one of you, he says, looking diligently lest any one of you it might be the person at the back. It might be the, the person who comes in now and again. You hardly ever see them. But nobody's left out. In your watchtower, looking diligently, lest, lest anyone have the characteristics of an Esau, lest anyone fail of the grace of God. In other words, he's bringing Esau in here, not to be critical and to be hard and unkind, but in compassion. He says, you be diligently watching over all your brethren and sisters so that you can help them and encourage them not to turn out to be Esau's. And if you see anybody coming short that you're concerned and you pray for them in your watchtower, looking diligently. This is a very interesting word that the apostle uses, looking diligently. It's a pastoral word. It's a word that normally is given to elders to the oversight because that's what the oversight do. The elders, they are overseers. They're the oversight. They overlook diligently the bishops, the elders. This is the kind of word that describes their office. But the apostle here isn't talking to elders. He's talking to the whole congregation. He's talking to the Hebrews. And he's saying to them all, all of you are to be diligently overlooking one another to have this heartfulness this pastoral concern for your brethren and sisters this care and that's how Esau comes into the context you see the pastor is to watch out and to care for the strain but Paul is here saying you all are to you're to watch out for your brethren and sisters. You're to feel responsible. You're to have a cure. You're to be kind. You're not to be looking down on, on, on someone who, I, I knew rightly he was an Esau. I thought it in my heart he was an Esau. And you're kind of looking down on them and despising them. That's not what the Lord wants you to do. He doesn't say look down and despise. No. He doesn't say, look away and ignore. But he says, look diligently. Lest there be one. Just one. One who's not right with God. One who's not going on with the Lord. Look diligently, lest, lest even if there's only one. So this is a powerful word the apostle is giving to the church. It's a wanting to make all believers, all professors, real. 
It's a desire that everybody in the church would just know the Lord and be like the Lord. This kindness. And so it's not to find an Esau. You know they're holier than thou people and that's what they want to do. They want to find the Esau's and pursue them and drive them out. No, it's, it's to be caring to win the slow, the backward, the backsliding, those that don't have much evidence of grace in their life. You remember Jesus? He saw the people. He was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. They were just utterly lost. And he had compassion on them. Compassion for sinners. Compassion for the strain. That's what the apostle is talking here. A genuine concern that people who don't enjoy God's grace and wanting them to do so, wanting them to enjoy the grace of God. This means praying for them. We should pray for one another. We should pray for our brethren and sisters. Not just the the strong Christians and the great Christians and the, the ones who pray mightily in the public prayer meeting, but all, all the brethren and sisters in the church. The youngest of the oldest. We should be concerned how people are getting on with the Lord. And we should want everyone to get on with the Lord and to be getting on to know the Lord more. We should have a genuine concern about that. And not just to hook out Esau's and, you know, to be a Pharisee and I'm right and everybody else is wrong and you end up starting a church and you're the only one in it. No, this is not straining at a knot and, and, and swallowing a camel. This is genuine concern for everybody in the fellowship. This is connected with harmony and holiness. The soul winning spread. The same people right with the Lord. And those that are not going on with him to see them closer to the Lord. This is God's church. This is what God wants in the fellowship. His community is not just in a holy concord. It's a holy caring concord. A concord of holiness, of love and compassion so that not even the lowest among us, that not any of us might fail of the grace of God. I don't want to see one of you, I don't want to see one of us not going on with the Lord. Not one. And that's how you should feel all about all your brethren and sisters. Don't, don't despise people if they're not going on with the Lord. Don't despise people if they miss the meetings. There's something going on in their life. There's something not right. There's something we maybe can't understand, but we should have compassion. We should have kindness. And we can pray for them. And we can have a good heart design that they'll just be like, like the Lord and enjoying the Lord more. And not, not missing out with God. So it, it should matter to us, to every one of us, where everyone in the church is with the Lord. And so we pray for one another. We encourage one another. And so that none of us, not one, will be filled with bitterness. And not one will turn out a, a profane person like Esau. So that not one 
will be rejected. So not one will miss the blessing. So that not one will get themselves into a state where they'll have no place of repentance. We don't want anybody like that. We want everybody to be brought to a place of repentance and walking with God. That's the kind of Christians we ought to be. Let's leave it there. May God make us such a church for his own name's sake. Amen.